0: If you want to write stories your readers will love, there are three things you need to do. Understand storytelling principles, see how other writers have applied those principles and use them in your own work. Here on the Story Nerd Podcast, our goal is to demystify story theory. We'll help you with the first two steps so that you can get started with the third. My name is Valerie Francis. I'm a writer and literary
1: editor, and I focus on stories by, for, and about women. And I'm Melanie Hill, writer, editor, and poet, and I have a passion for spy stories, fairy tales, and master detective novels.
0: On today's episode, Melanie pitched Aliens so that we can study resonance. This 1986 film was directed by James Cameron from a screenplay by James Cameron and based on characters by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. Of course, there'll be spoilers because we can't talk about the movie without talking about the movie. And we would love it if you could give the show a rating and review. For Apple Podcast listeners, you can do it right from your phone. Simply go to the show's landing page and scroll to the bottom and click some stars. Five is my favorite number. It's that simple.
1: Alrighty, Melanie, what is the genre of Aliens? Well, this week I had horror um, just basically shaped around the alien and the monster is why I came to that conclusion. Um, and I had horror uncanny because we can explain the monster even if we don't necessarily understand wh- where it came from or exactly what it is. And then for the secondary genre, um, I originally had down that I didn't think there was one. Uh, but when I compared the movie Alien to the sequel Aliens, Ripley does change, so she's much tougher and more capable in the second movie, but, you know, the question I asked myself was, is this enough to make a secondary genre? And I still came to the conclusion of no because there's no shift for her in this story, but it is something to think about if you're writing a story with a sequel. So what did you have this week? When you say Ripley does change, you mean –
0: you mean from the first movie to the second movie?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's different in the first movie compared to how she is in the second movie.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. So for me, the global genre this week is action with uh, some elements of horror. And I agree with you. I don't have a secondary genre for Ripley because she's pretty much the same woman at the end as she was at the beginning. Now, Melanie, this week, there's not a lot for me to say about the Plot structure of aliens, uh, but the genre really caught my attention this week. It's marketed as a horror movie. And as you say, there are undeniable elements of the uncanny subgenre of horror. And the first film is a horror. But as I was watching this Cameron sequel, I, it just kept feeling like an action movie. And that raised a lot of questions in my mind. So this week, I've spent a lot of time. Looking at horror and action, what it means, what those two genres mean. I've been comparing them and contrasting them, and so that's going to be my focus this week, um, rather than the plot structure, because I think there's a really discussion, really interesting discussion to be had there. But um, why don't you start us off by telling us about resonance as it relates to aliens?
1: Great. All right. Well, I, um, as we've already discussed. Aliens is a sequel to the movie Alien, and so while studying, I've studied resonance this week between the two movies, and I did find a lot of things. So, and I think it'll be really interesting to for people to listen to the things that are similar between the movies. So the things that resonate, and then the things that are different, but they they're different, but they still resonate. So I, I found that fascinating this week to sort of think about that and, and do a bit of analysis. So, of course, you know, Ripley is the mainstay character between the two movies. So as a character she resonates between the two and she is the only reoccurring character. But we also see resonance through the setting, um, through the new characters and some resemble the characters in the first movie, but there are, as I mentioned, differences. Now, as I go through this, I'll sort of go through it sequentially in the movie as well. So we see in the opening scenes the escape pod where warrant officer Ellen Ripley is in stasis with Jones the cat. So they are the sole survivors of the crew of the Nostromo after the initial contact with the Xenomorph alien ship, and 57 years have passed since the movie Alien or since the events of the movie Alien occurred. So aliens can be watched as a standalone movie that, like other standalone movies we've studied this season, uses genre conventions to resonate with the audience However, in particular, Aliens uses horror and thriller genre conventions. And coincidentally, the setting used in Aliens has very similar features to the settings in the movie we analysed earlier called The Shape of Water. And now that we know some of the features of the Gothic settings in horror stories, this is probably not surprising But if you'd like to know what those features are, then I do go through them in quite a lot of detail in episode four this season. So please go and listen to that and you'll see the commonality between the two films. We can draw on resonance in many ways. And up to now, I focus mainly on genre and life experience. In this episode, I will investigate how the film Aliens uses resonance from the first movie and I'll also look at the similarities between the roles of certain characters. Now, firstly, there's the titles, Alien and Aliens. So that tells us that if we were worried about the power of one xenomorph from the first movie, then be prepared for more than one in the sequel. And this is important because it increases the stakes and is a point of similarity and a point of difference between the two films. So one alien in the first film killed all but one of the seven crew on the Nostromo. It has acid blood. It is seemingly impossible to kill. And Ripley barely escapes with her life. So imagine how hard it is going to be to survive a colony of xenomorphs. Now, obviously, there's the reoccurring role of Ripley, and we are reminded how much she has gone through in the opening 10 minutes of Aliens, when she relives the most horrific moment of the first movie. And that's when the alien starts to try and exit her body after its parasitical incubation. Now, as the sole survivor, she is rightly traumatized about going back into the near impossible survival situation, which she has now escaped from. Now, LV-426 is the exomoon from the first movie, and it has been colonised by engineers sent by the Wayland yutani company. So now there are 60 to 70 families living on that moon, and the company has lost contact with them. So there's a reference back to the first movie's location. Now, Ripley is rightly resisting going back to lv 426, but she becomes motivated to destroy the xenomorphs completely and changes her mind. At that point, Ripley is once more part of a crew, and the crew are important because some of the new crew take on similar roles to the characters in the first movie, and then there are others who take on new but familiar roles. And it's worth summarising the roles that these characters assume in Aliens because it's important to the recurring themes. So, the colonial Marines were not part of the original alien crew. However, in Aliens, the Marines are established as a tight knit bunch, and we'd expect this, right, as a group of military, as a group, as a platoon of military people. Their physical ability and the banter they throw around, tap into what we expect from this type of group. They are physically strong, not that pretty, and are very gung-ho, because you know, pain is just weakness leaving the body. Hoorah! The entire new crew are very flippant about the mission to LV 426, and it's their hubris that upsets Ripley. But this is important to the plot, because this situational naivety provides the space for the movie's betrayal and corporate corruption storylines, and we do see this in both films. Now, the Marine sergeant, Alpone, has a sharp tongue and sets the tone for the Marine's overconfidence by being euphemistic about the mission. There are the brothers from another mother pair of Vasquez and Drake, There's the clown, which is Hudson, and he talks tough but he isn't very brave and, in fact, he embodies the fear that everyone should be feeling, I think, in the movie when faced with those aliens. Um, Hicks is the sensitive one and also the moral compass of the group. The lieutenant, Gorman, is the least experienced, so, you know, as an officer we'd expect a few bad decisions from him and and he lives up to that. (laughs) We also have Bishop the android and Burke the man from corporate and these are two of the most important characters in Aliens thematically. In Alien it is the android Ash who was given secret orders by the company, Weyland Yutani, to bring the alien life form back to earth at the expense of the crew. He also tried to strangle Ripley when she found out what Wayland yutani had ordered him to do. Now, Ripley's reaction to when she discovers that Bishop is an artificial person is justified based on her previous experience. And in seeing Ripley's response, Bishop provides her with a technical description of the behavioural inhibitors that should prevent him from harming human life. And while that's technically wonderful for Bishop, we understand Ripley's scepticism. Now, Ripley's experience is really underestimated by the Marine crew. Her wisdom is ridiculed when she's briefing them prior to launching from the mothership down to LV426. But Ripley lays it out for them when she says, and I quote, because just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours, and if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed, end quote. Now, the link back to the original movie is important to the stakes in this second movie or the sequel, but it is not the same. It is bigger, and there are more people's lives at risk on LV-426, including families, as well as the bigger crew, Now, the theories put forward in Alien are also confirmed in Aliens. We know about the acid blood, and we see this again when the Marines are doing their recce. When Ripley and company come across the xenomorphs in the liquid containers, Bishop reads out how one of the engineers died while they tried to take the parasitic stage Alien off his face. Now, this was theorised in Alien, but then confirmed in Aliens. So it also demonstrates that Weyland-Yutani is still willing to put people's lives at risk for the sake of profit. Now, remember, Weyland-Yutani knew about the xenomorphs on LV-426 in Alien, and they still decided to colonise it in the 57 years since the first events but this time it's Burke who is the human face of the company and not the artificial person. So this variation from the alien plot provides a point of difference but also means Bishop won't be the face of Wayland yutani So the small changes to the characters have given story writers a way to change the story enough to make it different from the original so, I also want to add a note here about invasion literature. And if you remember from episode one this season, I spoke about how alien invasions came to be its own type of subgenre. And one of the features of these types of stories is a power difference between the weaponry of the invading aliens and humans. Now, in Alien and Aliens, the humans have large conventional weapons. However, they are ineffective against a creature or a number of creatures with acid blood, stealth capability and deadly razor-sharp limbs and teeth and also a tail that grips and strangles. But, Valerie, before I go and look at Ripley's character changes, is there anything that you noticed that were differences or similarities between the Alien and Aliens movies?
0: Oh, this is an interesting question because although I wasn't thinking about specific details and the differences or similarities between specific details between the two movies, I was thinking about the high level differences in terms of the genre because that's what really captured my attention this week. I think the way Cameron approached the sequel was really smart He could have gone a lot of different ways with it. I mean, he could have had a whole new crew encounter a whole new set of aliens, right? But at some point, somebody made a decision to stick with Ripley as the main character. And so his challenge was to present the same story in a different way. And I think he pulled it off. As you say, it's got all the elements we love from the first film, and then that made the first film so successful, but... I think that because he changed the genre, he was able to present old or known material in a fresh, new, interesting way. And this is a huge lesson for anyone who's writing a series. I'm going to talk more about this um, when I do my bit. So please keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, f- I found that too. And I thought the same things, that this would be a good example of anyone who was writing a subsequent book from a a first novel. So I I picked up on that as well. Right. So there are some interesting differences in Ripley's character in Aliens. And we can see this when looking at who is obeying orders and who is overriding orders. So Ripley can only achieve the overriding of orders because of her experience from the first movie. So she has credibility and her decisions are based on knowledge of the monster. In the first movie, when Kane is comatosed while he's incubating the alien, Ripley becomes the officer in charge of the Nostromo. And her decision at the time was to stop her crewmates from bringing Kane back on board the ship. But it's overridden by Ash, who is the science officer and a synthetic life form. Now, in Aliens, Ripley has no rank as a consultant, but when things start to go awry, she is the one overriding the marine lieutenant and she overrides Burke's plans to return the aliens to Earth and she effectively does become the leader of the survivors while they are on LV-426. So the other interesting situation that's repeated but varied is the role of Bishop. Now, like Ash, Bishop has been instructed to prepare the xenomorphs for return to earth and he is carrying out those instructions. Now, I think there is a bit of a plot hole here (laughs) because if Bishop was paying attention to the nature of the xenomorphs and if he really was programmed so that he couldn't put human life in danger, then he would not carry out Burke's instructions. Anywho, (laughs) Bishop, unlike Ash, is a far more sympathetic character because he does get Ripley, Newt and Hicks off the exo-moon. Now, Bishop is, is not the internal force of antagonism here. It's Burke. Now, Burke is the personification of the company and he is amoral, Motivated by money and willing to do whatever it takes to get some of the creatures back. But this time he's in situ and at risk from the same fate as everybody else. So this time the corporation pays a price for its priorities and its behavior. Now, again, we have repeated situations in both movies but it's the person taking the action that has been reversed. So it's also worth noting, I think, the role of females in both movies. Now, there are characteristics of each one that we've seen before in various other stories and movies. So the computer in Alien is called Mother, and she won't reverse the self-destruct sequence that's been set. So Ripley calls her a bitch, you know, because that's what you call women that don't do what you ask them to do. Vasquez is the butch gun-toting woman. Corporal Ferro is the ill-fated pilot and Newt is a child survivor. And she has also taken on the same role as Jones had in the first movie. So she is the character that makes Ripley's character more likeable and she also adds to the stakes and the mo- and motivates Ripley to go back into the monster's lair at the end of Aliens. Then there's also the Queen Xenomorph, so she is laying the eggs. She is bigger and badder than any of the other monsters, and there is something to this, I think. And at the risk of being an armchair psychiatrist, <laughs> I'm going to point out something that's less obvious, that resonates with me through both, both movies. So when you think about the way the aliens burst forth from via the chest of Cain in the first movie, when you see the parasitic organs of the nymph stage xenomorphs in the lab, and when Ripley and Newt come face to face with the Queen and then have, have to fight the bitch, I think whoever wrote the scripts and designed the Monsters must have had some sort of issues with women's ability to reproduce. But anyway, that's something that I've noticed and picked up. I don't know if anybody else did. So it's also interesting to note that Ripley is, as far as we know, childless. She's also a fighter, and we have a mother monster fighting the single childless woman. And I just wondered, is this a coincidence? Anyway, it's worth thinking about. And the final aspect of resonance between the two movies is the ending. There is the destruction of Ripley's ship, the Nostromo, in Alien, and the destruction of the colony on LV-426 in Aliens, and both end in large explosions. The monster stows away on the escape ship in both movies, And it makes its presence known when Ripley thinks she's safe. Now, the way the monster is defeated is also very similar in both movies. So it gets sucked through the airlock and ejected into space. But in Aliens, Ripley is not the only human survivor. She has Newt and Hicks, but she also has Bishop as well. And as a final thought before I hand over to Valerie, These two movies offer writers an example of how to write a sequel. Aliens resonates extremely well with its predecessor, Alien. There are significant common elements between the two movies. However, they are not identical and the differences between the two have resonance, but Alien turns key moments and characters around to vary the storylines. So the changes make sense within the world of the story. So, Valerie, I'm really keen to hear what you think in terms of genre and what it provided, you know, what gems it showed you this week. So take it away.
0: Before I get into that, I just want to pick up on your comments on motherhood. I think this is, I think you're right on the money there. I think this is, uh, there is an image system in this film about motherhood that carries over from the first film, for sure. Ripley is acting like a mother figure toward Newt protecting her, but Newt is also carrying around her baby doll. So she's like a mother to the baby doll. So no, I think you're right on the money with all
1: that. Oh, good. <laughs> Listen, I'm not out there <laughs> yelling into space. That's good. We might both be
0: shouting into <laughs> yes, space, but, maybe. you know, what odds. That's okay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So since plot structure is my topic this season, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. As I said off the top of the show, there really isn't a whole lot more to say about plot structure from this movie. It's a straight up arc plot story. And I went into a lot of detail about what that means in the men in black episode and the Lego Batman episode. But let me just whip through the, the key arc plot indicators. (laughs) You've got clear causality and yeah, there is a very clear cause and effect sequence of events here. It's pretty obvious. A closed ending. Yep. Sure is. Ripley saves Newt and she saves the day. Linear timeline, the story, uh, as Melanie already pointed out, starts with Ripley being discovered 57 years after she went into the stasis and now she's found at the beginning. That's how this movie kicks off. And then it progresses chronologically through the sequence of events as they set out to find and destroy the aliens. There aren't any flashbacks. There's no memories. There's nothing that veers from a straight up linear timeline, external conflict. Um, Yeah, we have uh, Ripley and the Marines. I I kind of think of them as Ripley and the gang. Ripley and the Marines against all the aliens. A single active protagonist, Ripley. A consistent reality. Ha! Now this, and and Melanie, you've already pointed to this uh, very well, but this was the most interesting part of all this for me this week because the reality here isn't merely consistent within this film it's consistent within the Alien franchise. So anything that was established in the first film is carried over into the second one. For example, the aliens in movie one were established to have acid for blood and that carries over into the second movie. So if you're writing a series, keep that in mind. Alrighty, genre. This is way more interesting of a discussion for me this week. So as I said, the first movie, Alien, is a horror And this second movie is marketed as a horror, but as I was watching it, it just felt like an action movie to me. So I wanted to find out what was happening there. And I did. Yay. When I mentioned to Melanie that I was going to focus on genre this week, she teased me by questioning whether I thought this was a thriller (laughs) and you have to go back to our uh, Invisible Man episode <laughs> to find out the backstory on that. And uh, by the by, The Invisible Man is a thriller. It's a horror. But- <laughs> 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 well, I'm telling you, Aliens is definitely not a thriller. <laughs> the question I was searching for <laughs> this week, uh, <laughs> the question I was searching Uh, for an answer to this week is, is Aliens a horror movie or an action movie? Because I could see elements of both. In tone, it feels an awful lot like an action movie. It generates excitement, not fear. Even the music feels like action movie music, not horror movie music. And all that's great and fine, but this is a subjective impression of the story. And the beauty of understanding how stories work is that we can approach something subjective like art, like a story, in an objective way. So I set my subjective impression aside, and I dug into the storytelling. And yes, there are definitely conventions of a horror story here. No question about it. And, and here's the ones that I found. We've got a false ending, which is not a convention of an action story. It is of a horror, and it is of a thriller, but not an action story. There is a monster who's kept off stage as long as possible. However, in a horror story, the monster's full power is unknown at the beginning, and it's revealed slowly over the course of the story. Now, that's not possible in Aliens because it's a sequel. We already know the nature and power of the monster, and for anyone who didn't see the first movie, Ripley gives a huge monologue in the beginning that is pure exposition. And it summarizes the plot of the first movie. If you're writing exposition, you got to go have a look at that. I found it kind of in your face. Um, I thought maybe it could have been a little more subtle, but hey, (laughs) what do I know? A monster. So continuing with the conventions of a horror, we have a monster who kills indiscriminately. For example, in a thriller, the attack is personal. The antagonist is attacking the protagonist for some personal reason, and of course, the antagonist in a thriller is human. Now, he or she may be monstrous in their behavior, but they aren't literally monsters, which is why the Invisible Man is a thriller. Anyway, in the <laughs> in a horror movie, this is our monst- perennial argument, isn't it? <laughs>
1: This is the thing that we're always going to argue about <laughs> in 10 years time we'll be on the podcast going, it's a horror it's a thriller <laughs> uh,
0: in a horror movie the monster is just doing its thing like these aliens don't have anything against those particular villagers or colonists they don't have anything against ripley personally or the marines personally They just need a place to lay their eggs, and any host will do. Whichever one wanders by, they will take. Like Jaws. Jaws doesn't have it out for any particular swimmer. He's just hungry. Whatever swimmer happens to go by, he's going to eat. So the antagonist is a key difference between a horror and a thriller. Another convention of a horror story that is in this movie, there's a labyrinth. Uh, we also experience deaths via technology first, not in person. So there's, you can clearly see Ripley and, and, uh, some other team members at a control station, looking at the video that the Marines are taking in the aliens nest. And we also have a series of kill off scenes, but here, not all of the characters are killed. Ripley and Newt definitely survive. Hicks is injured, but will recover. And he's also a bit of a love interest, in my opinion. And Bishop, presumably, he can be rebuilt. So that seems to tip the scales in favor of a horror, right? Well, I said that the nature of the antagonist provides a clue to the difference between a thriller and a horror, and that is true. What's also true is that the nature of the protagonist provides a clue to the difference between an action story and a horror story. So in a horror story, the protagonist is a victim. She's being actively pursued by the antagonist and spends most of the story running away or avoiding or trying to escape. It's only at the end of the story that she mounts an attack in self-defense, if she mounts an attack at all, and it's done so that she can survive. It's totally defensive. So for example, think about the Blair Witch Project, right? They just were trying to get out of there. They were running away. Now in an action story, the protagonist is a hero who actively protects a victim from a villain or antagonist. So think about Die Hard. You've got John McClane who is trying to protect Holly and her colleagues from Hans Gruber. Now in Aliens, Ripley and the Marines, but we're talking about Ripley here. She is the protagonist. She's actively pursuing the aliens. They've gone to the planet to rescue the terraformers with whom contact has been lost, right? Like they've got colonists up there and they say, we can't hear from him anymore. We have to go on this rescue mission. And Ripley, you're the only one who knows about these things, You need us. we need you to come with us, great. They discover that all the colonists, except one, have been killed. And the survivor is a young girl named Newt And she's still alive and Ripley is determined to protect her from the aliens and from Burke. In this sequel, Ripley is an action hero. She's not the final girl, uh, the victim in a horror movie. And she's not the final girl that she was in the original 1979 alien movie. And that makes logical sense if you think about it. Ripley has already done battle with these monsters and she survived. If James Cameron had presented her as a victim again, then would we have empathized with her? Would the story have been as interesting? I don't think so. We would have thought, you got yourself back into the same situation again. How, like, how dumb are you? Right? If she had been a victim a second time. In a horror movie, in order for the victim to triumph over the monster, she has to become heroic that's it. She's not at the beginning. By the end, she's a hero. That whole experience of going up against the monster is what makes a hero of her. So that's who Ripley is as this sequel begins. She starts as a hero because that's how she ended the last movie. So in Aliens, what we have is the antagonist from a horror story but the protagonist from an action story. And we have conventions of both of them. So why did I choose action over horror? Well, in the end, the deciding factor for me was the premise of the story. Ripley is running toward danger in order to save a victim. And that's not what a horror story is about. Melanie, what do you have for today's action step?
1: Oh, well, before that, I think that's a great analysis and I would agree 100% with what you said there because I did think the same thing, that Ripley runs towards the danger this time. And, and that decision is made fairly early in the movie, right? And then she repeats that decision another a few times throughout the movie and especially when she has to go and rescue Newt. So I think that's absolutely spot on. I think this is an action movie as opposed to a horror movie. <laughs> so today's action step, it's, it's really going to be quite simple. So if you are writing a sequel to your first novel, then have a look at what is the same and then also what is different and make sure that you have elements that resonate through both stories, but look at how you can add characters in to make things different, invert them a little bit so that the story is similar enough but also different enough to be a newer story that resonates with the audience who loved the first story.
0: And that wraps it up for this week. Join us again next week when we discuss... Wayne's World. I'm so excited to do that one. To support the show, please leave us a rating and review and tell your writer friends about us. For access to writing templates and worksheets and more than 70 hours of training, subscribe to My Inner Circle by visiting valeriefrancesca slash Inner Circle and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Valerie underscore If you'd like to find out about books to help you read like a writer, visit Melanie on Facebook and Instagram under Melanie Hill Author Or visit her website, melaniehill.com.au. And remember, story theory doesn't have to be difficult. It's a tool to help you write more, not less. So take it one step at a time and have fun.